back themselves after our guys put a beat down on them earlier this year. And goes straight. Welcome to Views from the Clutch. I go by the name of Smart Alex. I'm here with my brother from another. C. Grounds, good. And we are back with another edition of Views from the Clutch. As always, we'd like to take a moment out to say thank you to our supporters, listeners, and subscribers. If you would like to join the wave, you can do so by following us on any of the podcasting platforms we are hosted on. You can email us directly at viewsfromtheclutch at gmail.com. Tag us on social media at Views from the Clutch on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. When we last left off, Donovan Mitchell was still a member of, was he still a member of the Utah Jazz? Yeah, it was pre-spider. Yeah, it was pre-spider. So, as always, there was a gap in between episodes, but we like to allow for some things to happen before we reconvene. I think we dealt with heavily on the last episode the fact that Kevin Durant got reminded that he is an employee and not just a boss in his own regard, Mm -hmm. as the Nets membership, Nets ownership, basically decided that, you know, we signed you to a four-year deal. You haven't even played a game on this deal. So we tried to honor your request to shop you around. And unfortunately, we weren't met with any offers that came to our liking. So you will be returning. But with that being said, we moving past that because, you know, Kevin Durant has always gone to the story as long as he's in the NBA and healthy to the aftermath of Donovan Mitchell not being acquired by the New York Knicks. And I'm not saying that to slander your Knicks. I'm just saying that because that was the prevailing thought in the wins that somehow Donovan Mitchell will wind up a New York Knicks, and he did. So with that being said, and him now being a member of the Cleveland Cavaliers, C. Grant, what's your take on that situation? How do you, how do you feel about Donovan Mitchell and the trade? Do you feel like Utah did that out of spite? Because that was one of the rumors I heard. I, they just thought I, I didn't want to deal with the Knicks. I think they really wanted to try to gut the Knicks. Because if you look at some of the players that they got, I think the Knicks offers that were rumored were better than they got. I mean, they got... So let's, top- recap, let's okay. recap what 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 Cleveland offered Donovan, what Cleveland gave away for Donovan Mitchell is the equivalent to three first-round picks and live players. You got yeah. Colin Sexton, who was a first-round pick. Uh-huh. You got Laurie Markkinen, who was a first-round pick. And then you have the um, – I hate to do this, but he's an African kid, and I don't know his name. But he was also a first-round pick, and I think he was their first-round pick last year or one of their first-round picks from last year mm-hmm. that they acquired because Evan Mobley was the big the big pick that they had. I think they might have had two picks in the first round last year. Whatever the case may be, three first-round picks, then two actual first-round picks, correct? Yeah. So that's five first-round picks in the form of three players and two picks with two pick swaps. Mm-hmm. Did they have two pick swaps? Are I think pick swaps I, I don't remember that part. I think I think so. I, I think it's second, either the pick swaps or the second rounders. I think One it's second. No, I think it's second round. I don't think it's pick swaps. I think it's second rounders. So for Rudy Gobert, 
Anyway, let's not even do that comparison. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, that's what Cleveland gave up to acquire the services of, of Spider. Yeah. You're saying that the Knicks made better offers? I don't know. You're going to have to tell me what the Knicks offered because I was I mean, hearing... there's, there's so many different rumored, rumored offers, and that's the only problem that there were rumors of R.J. Barrett, uh, who was top three pick, Obi mm-hmm. Toppin, who was a uh, top ten pick, and there was, um, I think, Derrick Rose or Evan, Evan Fournier. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would think it was three, what, three first rounders, but then three three second rounders or something like that. There was something to that margin. But there was also many rumors because they said there was offers right after the season of um, Mitchell Robinson, Obi Toppin, and RJ with four first rounders. Mm. But there was also talk that the reason why Danny Ainge didn't want to do it is because he wanted, he wanted to try to gut the Knicks because Remember, we both saw it. We talked about it on the podcast months ago. Was Nick's personnel was at Mitchell's games, mm-hmm. almost like you know recruiting him. And and you you could tell Danny Ainge they gonna know certain writings on the wall that we don't know. And mm-hmm. if they feel like the Knicks are openly even, recruiting him yeah, during well, the season, mm-hmm. or not openly recruiting him, but basically well, just just their just showing their presence that hey, we we going after him, we gonna get him. So Spider-Man. when you do that, you say, "Oh, okay. You know what? Yeah, let's see what we can get." And I think also, y'all want them, let's see how much y'all really want them. How much y'all really want them, right? And they probably mm-hmm. figured, "Okay, well, the season just ended. You know, if that and if that's true, right? Because that's the whole thing. We don't know if it's true or not about. And that's the thing about rumors. But we are hearing that um, they were talking about World Wide West, who's a member of the Knicks um, front office. Front office. They, he was he was speaking to Charles Barkley and how they wanted they wanted everything mm-hmm. they wanted everything they wanted a lot more than some of the I think to the, to the gist of some of those rumors were true with the the volume of picks and players that were offered mm-hmm. but but not, he didn't necessarily you know actually say confirm or deny that those rumors and the, the players within the rumors, obviously when you re-sign RJ, you don't want to make it apparent that, hey, you know, we definitely were trying to get rid of you for Spider Mitchell. Well, so I, think, I think the signing of RJ Barrett, which we spoke to, because that had occurred right as we were rapping, he had just got that extension and I was speaking to the fact mm-hmm. that, you know, you can't trade one of those players after you sign that extension. There's a um, there's a moratorium on them. Yeah. And then you also have the multiple rookie extension thing where two players who are on rookie extensions can't share the same team. Mm-hmm. So that was part of what was precluding issues with, um, well, with the remember- Nets and Ben Simmons. Yeah, facts. With their situation when they were trying to speculate possibly moving Kevin Durant. The idea is that if you move Kevin Durant, you can't move him for a player that's going to be on a rookie contract, a rookie max contract, because you can't share the floor with Ben Simmons. So the only teams that can actually do that are teams that actually sign these guys who that drafted them and allow them to share a roster. So you, you had that caveat. Um, I believe any trade with Obi Toppin, and this is not shade, it's just in relevance to what he's been able to display on the court as a player as of right now, I believe that any trade with him probably doesn't go far. Because as of right now, although his attributes are well-documented, you know he can jump really high. So you know he's got athleticism on his side. 
and he's 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 definitely a front court player. There's not really a position that you know that you can put him in. You know, he's not really big enough to be a dominant power forward. He he he's one of those. I, I don't know how to how to. He's like a tweener, like a he's like a Sean Marion, you know, where he's kind of like too short for that position, but they got to hyper athletic so that he can compensate for that in some ways that you know other players can't and I respect that because uh, again I wasn't a fan of Obi Toppin until I got to see Obi Toppin right before he got drafted and I really you know went back and watched the season and, oh this kid can play yeah. so I felt I mean, kind of bad that I had rated him lower than what his actual talent garnered but he still wound up what what was he the seventh pick uh, he was like, like eighth that? I think seventh or eighth even though he's top ten you know what I mean? But it was eighth. I think it was like eighth. Uh, but let's let's just go there, right? Okay, so when you look at the Knicks, okay, Cleveland won 45 games last year. So they and they have a brighter future, let's be clear, than the Knicks. They have two Current. two all-stars returning. They have mm-hmm. a couple of players and Evan Mobley, and Evan Mobley that could be a could be a future all-star. Evan so, Mobley could be the next great big. Okay, so but when I, but this is exactly what I'm getting at, and and that defense, mm-hmm. those draft picks, those first round draft picks are not going to be high. There's a better chance that the Knicks draft picks would be higher. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, because so that's what I'm I, I feel so, like that's I feel like that's you know almost transparent. The value yeah, but, of but, the picks coming from a team. Who with, with won forty five games versus a team yeah. who didn't make the playoffs and has been kind of inconsistent and in, in that. So that's why I was saying that I think the Knicks offer was better because you're saying the value of those first round picks mm-hmm. are higher because you look at the team's history. If you go about like I said, and and the, and the potential going forward. Yes, the Knicks have a and well, and it's we don't even know if it's a better roster. And Jalen Brunson is definitely going to be, you know, we both hope that he's a better player, but that's not a definitive thing. We know Garland mm-hmm. was an all-star last year, and he most times when players are all-stars, they tend to try to follow it up, especially when they're young all-stars. Mm-hmm. So Young all-stars tend to make it back to the all-star game. You got Zach Levine, who made his first all-star game two years ago, and then he made it back, even with DeMar DeRozan joining him. Your point is valid. So, so again, and again, uh, but we also talked about is that the best, is he the best player for the Knicks? And, you know, obviously at this point, it's neither here nor there, but in my opinion, it's kind of, it was kind of, as a Knicks fan, you want a star that's a bona fide, Donovan Mitchell, 25 years old, three-time All-Star, going to be, a, you know, chances of him being an All-Star again. As higher as well, the Knicks don't oh, have he's an all-star. Yeah, that's he's what I'm saying. He's an all-star. That's what I'm saying. So the Knicks don't have a young all-star like that. They have players who you believe have the upside to be there, but it's totally different than I am coming in as a definitive bona fide star and a guy who potentially could be a star. That's a different so, argument. So pause so, me for a second. Pause me for a second, mm-hmm. and I want you to circle back. Don't stop the flow of what you're gonna say. Keep that in mind, but just keep this question in mind to tail in what you're going to say. As a Knicks fan currently, what is the underlying or the, the prominent franchise direction you want them to take as far as the direction of the team 
going forward. So bring that in as you, so, as you okay. wrap this up. Make sure that that's what you wrap it up with, please, for me. So, yeah, I need so, to understand what Knicks fans' expectations should so, be. So, again, talk. see, that's the problem about being a Knicks fan. There are so many fans that think almost on a daily basis or a – it depends on which fan you talk to is that particular view. I looked at I'll – go, I'll go the reality way, right, is mm-hmm. we, you didn't get Mitchell, right? Mm-hmm. You were giving up potentials for – a possible for a star, right? Even mm-hmm. though he had his deficiencies, he was still an offensive powerhouse. He's an offensive star. He's an exactly. offensive superstar. So, There's so, no debating the value of Donovan Mitchell on the offensive side of the court. He is a plus. Yes. Can't so, take that away from him. So that was but I say with the current lineup right now, I think the Knicks need to find out they need to now establish who those young players are that they were which people, you know, there was rumors that they were hoarding. Like, we don't want to give these guys up. We don't want to give up a bunch of these young players we have. You have Quentin Grimes, who has potential. Obi has potential. Uh, Manuel quickly has potential. McBride has some potential. These are a lot of, they have a lot of players under the age of, let's say, 26. 26. They have pretty much the core of their team is under that age. So now you need to figure out these players, who these players are, because you didn't trade them, right? And you let you let the media put their spin on it, where some of these players, depending on how they are received or how they take it, not being in the trade rumors, they now have to move forward. Like, hey, man, do some of them feel like this is a team? Oh, some of them might feel some of them feel might a feel like way. the former best player on the team, like how Julius Randle felt when he was getting uh, shot by they the might. They might be, or also how hmm. didn't I mean? Well, but also, Randle can help ease that. Well, remember Randall. Remember, remember last year the Knicks. A lot of Knicks fans was writing Randall off. They wanted him mm-hmm. out of there. So mm-hmm. that could still be the case. But now, if you get, if that's the case, and you get Randall upset, and then now these other players is like, man, y'all treated Randall bad, and then you had me the whole summer not in I couldn't do nothing. That's that's you know now I might be spiteful. So you don't want them to necessarily lower their value. So what I'm saying is the Knicks have to build that up and figure identify what they have because yes, it looks good that you have a young young team, but if those players are not playing, you don't know, really know what you have because they can show bright spots, but you can't play RJ. You know, RJ can't lead the league in minutes or be the top five in minutes, and Randall be right there behind him. That can't be the case because that means. Some of the youth, they're not getting any playing time. They they don't need to average 35 or 37 minutes a game. They need to average probably 34, 33 minutes so that way some of their young players can get about 20 minutes a game, give or take. And that's why you have to see what old you have. Old-ass because... clown, sit your old ass down. Well, yeah, but again, Let a young you gotta, brother shine. You got to see what you have because because if you say the Knicks have what over the next, I think it's next, what five years, they got like 11 picks or something like that. You okay? What what, what do we say? It's like, what good is having all these picks and you draft the wrong players? Or, but but does this regime deserve the opportunity to draft properly? Remember, yes, no, but that's why you build up the young players because you know, as building the youth, let's be honest, when was the last okay. 
He's young. So players. let's let's visit the Knicks draft cachet for what they've done since this regime took over. So Worldwide West and who was it? Is it Leon Rose? Leon Rose. Leon Rose. Is okay. The so that regime, they 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 get credit for RJ Barrett, Grimes, mm-hmm. Emmanuel Quickly, Ob Toppin. Um, yeah. They don't get Mitchell credit Robinson. for the guys that they've moved, and Mitchell Robinson they get credit for. They don't they don't have to take any credit for uh, the kid that they traded, the fake young Kevin Durant. Kevin Knox, because that's pre their regime. They don't have to take credit for pretty much everybody that they didn't take part in drafting isn't there. The only additional player that they moved in that was young talent that was around that same time is Cam Reddish, who has yet to be moved. Even Mm -hmm. though there were rumors that, you know. And you still got to see what you got with him. Because you traded Kevin Knox for him. Mm -hmm. So are you going to do Cam Reddish the same way you did Kevin Knox and never play him? And then you can't really trade them for anybody because just like people don't know what they got. They just yeah, that you know like a question for uh, Mr. Uh, Tom Thibodeau. Thibodeau. Yeah, so that's yeah. the thing. So and again, Thibodeau Tibbs is the coaches they brought on. Mm-hmm. So that's all. And he's they also seem part to be. And they he seemed they seem to be wedged to him. At no time have I heard any type of energy that Tom Thibodeau is in any type of trouble as a coach, even though he presided over that team that did not repeat the success that they initially had his first year, which yeah. again is something that is not new to a Tom Thibodeau situation. He has teams Absolutely. that peak and sometimes they don't recover. And a lot of this could be quote unquote coincidental to him being the coach, but at some point things are no longer a coincidence and they're just basically a pattern. So I think this season is critical to the Knicks, but my unfortunate basketball eye says, how can you put them in a position to have expectations to be successful when the roster is essentially a replication of one that didn't make the playoffs last year? There's not yeah. new injections of blood and talent coming into the Knicks to make the situation different from last year. It's them saying, all right, you know, we, we, we didn't, we, we gave 55% this year. We're going to give a hundred and we're going to see what the difference is. That's the same. Or, or, well, Derrick Rose won't miss 45 games. And I'm throwing that number out there because I think mm-hmm. he might have missed more. We, yeah. won't have the, we won't have the log jam at point guard with the one-legged Kimba Walker, you know, who deserves playing time because we went out and signed him and gave him a contract. So we've got that situation resolved. So maybe it's an addition by subtraction idea that the Knicks have and that, like you said, they're going to go ahead and hitch their wagon to this young talent and see see what they get because right now as we stand this starting point guard is still isn't it still Alex is he Ooh. still the starting point guard no Jalen Brunson is the starting point guard oh yeah Jalen Brunson is I'm sorry I keep forgetting that he got signed so now you got Jalen Brunson at the they don't even have Alex Burke is not even on the team anymore that is ridiculous they traded him they traded him for a first round pick that they ended up that was a whole weird thing they ended up trading for a first-round pick that they ended up trading that first-round pick to Oklahoma City for, like, a later pick, like, 85 years late, you know, in 2018, uh, 2038 or something like that. It's some weird thing they did. They ended up getting rid of New Orleans Noel and Alex Burke, trading him for a first-round So, New Orleans Noel is back in Oklahoma City? No, New Orleans Noel is in Detroit. The, the Knicks ended up trading... Alex Burke and Orleans Noel to Detroit for the for the for a draft pick, and they ended up 
packaging that draft pick and another draft pick to like Oklahoma City or something like that. It was just a weird. It was very weird what they did. Um, Why so, didn't the Knicks go get my boy? If you're going to trade with Detroit, get Bobo. Bobo no. would have been perfect for New York. Well, you say no. No, because no, because the Knicks, the Knicks were trying to trade up to get Ivy, that point guard. Um, they didn't that, get him, that, did they? No, because Detroit kept him. Detroit decided to keep him. Detroit said, no, we got Cade Jalen Ivey. Jalen Ivey. We, we got all these point guards. We're going to make it happen. You know, Killian Haynes, you know, goodbye to your playing time, kid. You know, um, because Kate he wasn't Hunt, healthy know, last year. He was hurt, I think, all last season. Yeah, and it, and he and the, but the previous year when he was a rookie, I think he got hurt as well, something like that. Either either way, but he's he had the an impressive debut as a rookie, and I think what that allows them to do. I, I listen. I don't have a method of madness to what Detroit's got. I feel like Detroit is another version of the Orlando Magic. You see how the Orlando Magic has their three D at all their positions, but all of those guys have some total experience, like the, the most veteran of the Detroit roster might have like five, six years playing time. And that's probably like mm-hmm. Sadiq Bay. Yeah. And mind you, and that's not to, again, that's not to disparage Sadiq Bay because I think he's a good player too, but mm-hmm. he's a role player. You know, you put Sadiq Bay on a team like um, the Warriors and he becomes fantastic, but you put him on a team like Detroit and he's a surprise because the expectation is that you're not going to get much good out of him. But going back to Killian Hayes and that whole situation, I feel like Detroit has the versatility with a guy like Killian Hayes and um, Kay Cunningham who can play a multitude of positions that you can have all those guys out on the floor. Like, Kay does not a need-the-ball kind of guy. He's still going to get it. And that's not going to take away from his playmaking. It just means that somebody different is going to bring the ball up the court, which is kind of what happened to him in college anyway. He wasn't bringing the ball up the court when he was at Oklahoma State anyway. So, I don't know. I just feel like yeah, but- the Knicks are treading water. A three-team, a three, a three, a three-guard starting lineup between uh, Hayes, Cunningham, and Ivy. I don't see the three of them starting. Agree, agree, so, agree. So I, so. But that's the hey, same situation. Like I said, it's the same situation Orlando's got. Because remember, Orlando's got, Orlando's got uh, Suggs, mm-hmm. Greg Anthony's son, uh-huh. and Markel Fultz. And they've got another guard who I, I'm, I'm not remembering right now. These young teams that have stockpiled multiple young high draft picks at these positions. And like you said, it's a free-for-all to see who's going to get on the court. It really is. I, I, yeah, I, agree I mean, I understand what you're saying. It's just I, the reason why I mentioned Detroit thing being a little different is because you drafted three straight drafts in a row. You drafted a point guard. Or very similar to what Sacramento did. But Sacramento ended up trading a uh, Halliburton. Halliburton. But that's what they did because they ended up drafting. You know, they had Fox and re-signed Fox in a mega deal. Got Halliburton, and then they also got um, uh, Davion Mitchell, which is a point guard. But they ended up bumping Tyrese Halliburton out, so that way now it bumps Mitchell to a two guard. Or I mean, a two guard, but he'll be the backup. Or however they're going to do it, I don't know mm-hmm. what they're doing in that. I don't even want to get them too much shine because they look confused since Chris Webber left. Well, they're building around. They're building around Sabonis. Okay. They're building around you know Sabonis. The same thing that Indiana said they were doing and bailed on that. Yeah. And they realized that the ceiling wasn't as high as they would have preferred it to be. Um. 
it's a confusing time. I, I do believe that anytime you have Trader Dan involved in a situation, he's going to make it his business to come out publicly on, on you know, as a winner. He's done that with every franchise he's been a GM for. He did it in Boston when he got over on Minnesota with his old running mate, Kevin McHale, when he got him to basically give away Kevin Garnett for, you know, who, who Al Jefferson and a couple of guys later to be named. I mm-hmm. think the most that Jeff came Green. from that. Yeah, I think the most that came from that trade was that Minnesota eventually became so bad that they were able to draft Kevin Love. That that was pretty much the because with Kevin Garnett, they were middling eighth seed middle of the pack playoff team. And they were able to lose at a significant clip to be able to acquire Kevin Love only to again wind up trading him in the future. So there, 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 that cycle kind of started with the, the trade that Danny Age was a part of to get Kevin Garnett over to the Celtics. Um, same thing with when he got Ray Allen from Seattle. He won that trade too. And then you look at the cache of draft picks he assembled when he let Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett go to New Jersey. Because they were you no, know, they just started going to Brooklyn. So when he got them to the Nets, he got he basically ruined the New Jersey Nets draft future with all of the picks he got out of that trade. Danny Ainge is one of those guys, you know. If he calls and says he wants something from you, and you're an NBA GM, you should start sweating, and then you probably should block his number because you're probably going to get robbed. You're probably going to get robbed, and I feel like even with what Cleveland gave up their projection as a team acquiring Donovan Mitchell, their upside didn't, they were a six seed that lost two playing games without Donovan Mitchell. No, you can't, they, be, you can't be, you can't be a six, it's the top six make it to the, uh, I'm sorry, game. seven seed. They were seven seed. They were seven seed that lost uh-huh. two playing games. I'm sorry. Gotcha. 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 But again, so they, they can use Mitchell to get them in. I think Mitchell could be could win them one of those games. I think when you make a trade like that for a star in your conference, the whole idea is the acquisition of that player puts you in the top four conversation. Do you believe that the Cleveland Cavaliers are a top four team in the Eastern Conference as their roster is currently constructed? You got Darius at the one. You got Donovan at the two. You've got either the uh, – who you is got Karis Levert. Either Karis at the three, or you got the kid that they drafted, or the kid that they have from Auburn at the three. Okay, yeah, name. yeah. Uh, 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 number 35. I forgot his name. Um, I know who you're talking about. But, yeah. Uh, then you got – so and you, you got put Mobley Evan Mobley. And Jared Allen. Yeah. So that team is, – is that team a top four team in the East? Are they better no. than Philadelphia? No. Are they no. better than Boston? No. Are they better than – Than Milwaukee? No. No. And Are they the, better than Toronto? Uh, I think they're better than Toronto. Uh, but I don't think they're necessarily better than Miami. If they're better by Toronto, it's by a sneaker. Yeah, because, you know, okay, this is, this is one thing that I don't see a lot of teams do, but I've been seeing Toronto do this for quite a, quite a few years now. The, a lot of the players in Toronto – this is going off the internet and see them training, but a lot of them train together. They go to the, mm-hmm. the UCLA workouts. They, they the Rico every, Hines, the Rico Hines. Together. They go, they go together. 
And I've been seeing that for years because when I first saw Pascal Siakam, I saw him there before I saw him play for Toronto. And he's been doing that for years now. So, but I see that they're always together. And I'm like, that's something that builds chemistry, builds character, but it also can help in crunch time with wins because now the trust level is dead because you've been playing with this guy. Not when training camp comes around and say, oh, okay, now it's time to play with this guy. No, I've been playing with this guy for almost a full calendar year. Mm-hmm. I now know he's worked it a couple of weeks on his own, but we spent the last six to, you know, let's say three last month and a half together before training camp. So now we go into training camp, we come in that more. The ke- yeah, we have chemistry. We have tendencies understood. Yes. We have, we, uh, and saying chemistry and tendencies kind of summarizes it, but to, to be more specific, these guys know where each other needs to be on the that court trust. For, for, for them to be successful. They know when you come down the court, if you see a guy standing on a certain side of the court, you already know what's about to happen or if he's in a good position on that possession because you've played with this guy. So you can exactly. get a read to, to, to know, hey, I need you to lock back in. Yo, why are you coming down on the left side of the court on the left wing? You don't even take left wing. The whole Pat Beverly mindset. Mm-hmm. And we'll deal with that in a second. But one thing I found astounding about Pat Beverly was his ability to use recall from tendencies to speak to why it could even possibly be conceived that it could work with him and Russell Westbrook. He said, oh, well, I shoot from I shoot from the left corner, 50%, and Russ likes to post up on the right block. Those are tendencies and, and player habits that you acquire based on what you spoke for. Playing yes. with a guy for an extended period of time inside and outside of NBA game settings. So you know that in the rep, that's when a guy's trying to work on his game and improve it. Those guys get an actual feel for if that improvement is actually happening. I think Pascal Siakam, he's a player that he's so good. His improvement is not going to be one that we're going to really be. He, he was already most improved player when he went from like 15 to like, what, 20 some odd points a game. Yeah. He, he is what he is. He's a, he's a, he's a small, he's a small forward that can play power forward because he's long. And he's a matchup problem because he's got a good miss, mid post game. He, he can occasionally hit enough. We see what he does. He's an NBA champion. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, he's also so, from All-Star. And you've got Scotty Barnes, who is finding himself, but has already been the Rookie of the Year. Now, mind yeah. you, winning the Rookie of the Year in the NBA, it can be a gift, and it can be a curse. Ask Michael Carter-Williams about what the Rookie of the Year trophy means. And there's a few other rookies who have taken home that trophy, never to be seen again as far as star potential goes. So it can go both ways. I saw Scotty Barnes attending a lot of those Rico, Rico Hines and LA-based mm-hmm. workouts that you spoke of. I believe that their chemistry is going to continue to flourish. But again, I'm big on the Nick Nurse train. I've always been a fan of what he's done. I feel like he's but, still one of the better coaching minds in the league. And I don't think anything is going to change. They did still make it to the playoffs. They did still give Philadelphia a problem with their roster as currently constructed. Mm-hmm. Another year of chemistry and more players on the way. Toronto is one of those teams where that's why I said I feel like them in Cleveland, there's not much of a gap. Okay. What about what about Chicago? Mm-hmm. Is Cleveland better than Chicago? Considering uh, if, ball's not healthy. You're about to say ball's not healthy. Uh no, I mean they they could I get 
That's going to be interesting to see what we have. You put Cleveland, Chicago, Toronto, uh, Toronto, all in that same, not as good as the top four. And Atlanta to me. Atlanta. I say Atlanta Atlanta is is a bipolar team. Okay. Because of the strength of Trey Young and the the, the fact that they have Nate McMillan as a coach. And they they just picked up Murray from the, the Spurs. Again, a great move, but it, it doesn't push their needle into that conversation. No, but so, that's what I'm saying. I mean, so I think the only team in that top, right? The only I mean, team in that top four conversation that we could say could possibly, and this is just off speculation and the fact that he's trending downward. Philadelphia is the only team in that top four or those that upper echelon in the East that you really could say is vulnerable. Boston would have to basically fall flat on their face returning from the finals to, to pull out of the top four. Mm-hmm. It's almost expected that they're going to be in that conversation for top three team in the East based off of what they did and what they've shown their potential to be. We're talking about the number one defense. I don't think you all of a sudden lose that ability in one season. And you've added some players who are good at defending and just need to stay healthy. And Malcolm Brogdon – they did lose Gallinari, but Gallinari wasn't going to defend anybody anyway. He's Mm-mm. a plug-and-play shooter type of guy who yeah. he gives you an advantage when you have him, but you don't lose much not having him. Because mm-hmm. Atlanta was able to tread water without him, and it's not like yeah, yeah, his yeah. return suddenly made them a better playoff team. He just Mm-mm. was a he, he just fit into the rotation, and he was but a Atlanta did vet. make some moves. Atlanta mm-hmm. did make some moves. They got um they got the Kevin Herter situation sorted out by getting moving him for DeJounte Murray. Mm-hmm. And I think a guy like Kevin Herter is more suitable to a culture like the Spurs. Mm-hmm. I think we're underestimating what the Spurs are doing over there. A lot of the guys that they 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 basically cut all the fat out. I don't even know how much their salary cap is because I don't think yeah, they got anybody like eleven dollars. Yeah, they got what Keldon Johnson on a rookie scale contract. That's got it. rid of they got rid of Derek White when they got him to Boston. Mm-hmm. They got rid of Dejounte Murray when they got him to Atlanta. Yeah. Um, Demarcus Aldridge is gone. Yeah. Uh, Demar Rosen is gone. Well, Lonnie, Lonnie Walker, Walker went to free, he's Lakers. a free agent. Like, he's a free Lakers. agent. As a free agent. That's what I'm saying. So, so they so he was already off their cap. Yeah. And they just opted not to bring him back for whatever they thought he was worth. And he only signed with the Lakers for like a one year five million dollar deal or something yeah. like that. Like all these guys go to the Lakers and and have to short sell themselves because they're under the LeBron hex. Yeah, which is he's going to be a long term deal. Very interesting piece to watch this season. Lonnie Walker. Yeah, I I I liked him. I thought he's going to be. I I loved I I loved his potential, but it's always a thing when when Popovich doesn't play you, there's usually a reason, and then when Popovich lets you go, it usually bears this ugly, you know. At the some only point, guy, something's gonna happen. Yeah, the only guy that like I know they're mad that they didn't keep because they had him figured out perfectly, and everybody else is just using him wrong. Is Bertans? They really did a great job of making Davis Bertans look good, and Bertans oh, yeah, really yeah. looked good as a spur. The moment yeah. he got out of that situation and started going to these other teams where Popovich wasn't able to scheme to cover up his deficiencies, he really got exposed. But he got so, that. He got that money in the meantime. He got that bag. Yeah, he got that. You know, him and Ben Simmons is partying heavy in the off season. Anyway, well, at least at least he ain't afraid to shoot. 
Yeah, that's why I said it. That's the polar opposite. I thought you were going to catch that. but <laughs> So you know when they go to the club, who's shooting all the shots? <laughs> yeah, Ben Simmons is paying for him and Davis is taking him. But with that being said, <laughs> I, I'm just – let's circle back to what you spoke about with the whole New York Knicks situation and the, 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 the path of their franchise. We'll just – you know, they'll make this the Knicks take. Well, I told you we going to talk about your man Pat Bev because he was okay, on, so Insta- yeah, let's, let's... on Instagram ever since, ever since he got signed with the Lakers. He's been living that life now. He's out here partying. Talking real spicy. Look like he got, he getting shape ups now. Look like he cleaned up. Like he be he out G-checking, here. Is... He G checking the reporters. That yeah. press conference, is, that press conference is classic. They said, so, you know, now that you're playing with LeBron and AD, he said, nah, they playing with me. I went to the playoffs last year. Yeah, be he's known. not lying. No, That's he's the not. The thing that makes Pat Bev so polarizing is that he says things that he knows are divisive, but they're factually true. Mm-hmm. So it makes it real tough. Um, let's just go ahead. We'll deal with it. So I thought that, like I said, his 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 command of the questions, how he dealt with them, was very masterful. In that press conference, I have to commend him. I thought he did a good job of ensuring that no animosity and conflict could be interpreted from him joining the Lakers while Russell Westbrook is still there. They very professional. So I don't have any type of second guessing on whether or not they can coexist based off of how Pat Beverly conducted himself. One thing I do believe in Pat Beverly, he's not a liar. And he's not good at being fake. So if he felt like that situation was disingenuous, I think that there would have been some energy communicated. Even if he didn't intend for it, it would have been an undertone. But he was open and honest. He said, there's some conversations we're going to have to have. And we'll get through them. And it's a brotherhood thing. What shocked me, the one thing I take from it and say, you know what, I need a lie detector test was, he was like, a few years ago, I said that one of the players I want to play with is Russell Westbrook. I don't know where you said that, bro. Yeah, I don't I know where you said that. Yeah, I, don't know that. I don't know who. I don't know. Whatever show you said that on, I'm going to need you to pull that file and post that on Twitter. Oh, no. Don't Do worry. That. If it's true, the internet can find it. Yeah, but ain't nobody produced it. Yeah. No, they're going to wait. They're going to wait to they, they first argument. They're going to get their first little blow up during a timeout or something, and that's when they're going to start posting it. You know what I mean? That's that's what the, the internet knows how to. The internet is one thing is 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 very immature, but it's patient. You know what I mean? Patient meaning it will. You do something. People already had the, the internet has the dirt on you, but until you do something crazy or you talk yeah, about yeah, how they, you, they save the file. The internet exactly. Yes. Saves the file. Facts. They, they keep receipts. Opportunity to slide on you. Yeah. yeah. Receipts is always well kept. Well kept. Well kept receipts. So, so the internet is undefeated on keeping receipts. I mean, all of the things that are happening with, you know, the passing of, I ain't going to deal with that because it's not basketball related, but, you know, with, with, the, with the loss of, of the queen, boy, the internet was waiting. So I can only imagine what it's going to be like for the Lakers who have one of the biggest global fan bases in sports, just ready and willing to see what, what, what they're going to say and mm-hmm. do when, like you said, one of these incidents occur. So speaking to that, since we are going to speak on it, do you believe in the um? Do you believe in the fluff that Darvin Ham has been has been thrown out there about 
his relationship with Russell Westbrook and how he wants to make it work. Do you really think it's tenable that Russell Westbrook remains a Laker for the entirety of this season? Is he going to play for the Lakers this year for the full season? I don't – I really don't believe he will, but I think as a first-year coach, Ham, Ham is coming into the season with the expectation that, hey, I got I to gotta speak life and pro- productivity into my player who is – a future Hall of Famer who who if if he can get some of his shot selection under control, he's a he's a lot better player than, than what than what we saw last year. I mean you Absolutely. Got so, Absolutely. So, You're not yeah. speaking a lot. There so, is a better version of Russell Westbrook that, that is capable of but is playing it capable for the Los Angeles Lakers. Well yes, but it will that will we see that for an entire season? That I don't know. Again if the Lakers are, I get, I, I will give him. He will. Do you be think Russell Westbrook wants to still be a Los Angeles Laker? Do you think that he, he, he saw the Pat Beverly trade and say, "Yeah, I got to get out of here," and now that he doesn't have an agent, is being handled quietly, and they are still trying. I mean, listen, the guy opted into a forty-seven million dollar contract option. He knew what he was doing. He went and took that last available bag of. Mm. That, that he could get a, that, and I'm not mad at him. I'm not Even mad as a at Lakers fan. As, as a Lakers fan, as a human being, as as a as a person who's good at math, I will never have any animosity to Russell Westbrook for opting in to taking the largest possible payday he could take that he may ever see for the remainder of his career in in any one transaction. You go mm. and get that bag. If it happens no, to be on absolutely. Lakers dime, so be it. I'm not going to be mad at you. The Lakers are – because at the same time, guess what? LeBron signed for 48 mil or whatever the case may be. AD got his bag. Russell Westbrook has NBA equity that, that you know, he, he inspired a generation of kids. We can say whatever we want about how he looks now as an NBA player, about his inefficiency, about the turnovers, about, you know, that look of just not being connected to what's going on on the court his awareness being down, the defensive lapses, the getting into it with the most minute and minuscule of players. You know, you got Carl Anthony Towns trying to mock you. You know what I mean? Pat Beverly and the Minnesota Timberwolves mock you. You you took a shot and there's a meme of Carl Anthony Towns looking around like, where did the ball go? There's Pat Bev walking up and down the court and a blind person can read his lips saying, trash. Mm-hmm. Russell has got a lot of steam against him. You got the whole situation with the um, with the Westbrook and the fact that he still mm. has to deal with people in the media calling him that when he's made it clear that he won't tolerate it from fans. Yeah. Now, mind you, that name was given to him by someone in the media, and that person hasn't backed down from calling him that, and I don't think he ever will. Mm-mm. So there's a there's a prevailing energy that surrounds Russell Westbrook and the idea that he can overcome it on the basketball court. You know, I want the best for him. That, that's all I can say. I want the best for him as a human being and as a basketball player. I mean, I love my Lakers. At the end of the day, I'm always going to be loyal to the team that I grew up rooting for. So that's not going to change. But at the same time, as a human being, as a man, as a father, as a person who understands what it's like to, to struggle in your profession from time to time, I want his mental health to be in the best place it could possibly be for the remainder of his career. 
So I'm just hoping that whatever this situation plays out to become, that's what winds up leading to Russell Westbrook. As far as what the Lakers are trying to manufacture with him being on the roster and Pat Bev, I mean, from a basketball standpoint, we spoke about this a year ago without Pat Bev being in the equation, saying we don't know how this is going to work. With Pat Bev being in the equation, I don't know how it's suddenly something that we should determine is suddenly going to be workable for them. I, people talk about what about them starting together. Come on, man. Come on, man. Pat Bev is barely six feet tall. It might be six one, and I'm not saying that to take away from him. A stature. He'll guard whoever you put in front of him. If you tell him he got to guard Shaq for 48 minutes to get a check, Pat Bev going to do it. Is he going to be effective? Probably not, because most people in the world wasn't effective guarding Shaq at taller heights and weights. Russell Westbrook is 6'3". And we know that he refuses to guard or has refused to guard or has been made not to guard the best player at his position when they play against each other. It's not like Damian Lillard hit the waving goodbye shot over Russell Westbrook, he hit it over Paul George. Mm-hmm. Because Paul George did a lot of the guarding when he was there. Yeah, yeah. And it, or it was Roberson, or it was this person. They had defensive specialists that allowed for Russell Westbrook to not be so focused on defense. I mean, he played for Houston for Mike D'Antoni. You know, they don't even do defense there. Then he went to Washington, and him and Bradley Bill are interchangeable. As far as height, they're the same exact height. They're 6'3", 6'4". So he's never had to be this stellar on-ball defender for elite players. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason why you go and get a Pat Bev because if Russell Westbrook was that, you don't need Pat Bev. So now you're saying we're going to hitch both of them to the wagon, start them against these NBA backcourts, and what are you going to expect? So I, I don't know. I know that you're mm-hmm. going to give Russell Westbrook playing time if he's on your roster. I don't know if you start him if you have Pat Bev. It's, I don't know, it's part of the reason why I'm scared to talk about it. No, because I think, so let me tell you, let me ask you this. What's your overall, do you believe the Lakers, do, well, two things. Do you believe Westbrook is going to make it the full season? Uh, but then also, do you believe that the Lakers – I guess you might answer this question, both questions, but you think the Lakers will make the playoffs? As currently constructed, I do not see the Los Angeles Lakers as a playoff team. Not even playing. I see them as maybe a play-in team oh, okay. where they'll be a top they, – they could be in the 10. They could be in the 10 teams competing for. You know, the 7, 8, 9, 10, they could be in that, that – that, Six through ten, they could be one of those teams. Their ceiling, as currently constructed, is probably eight, nine, ten. I can see them somehow putting the, and that's like not even the best, but best case scenario with minimal injuries, maybe being a strong eight seed because the West is good. The West is brutal. Mm-hmm. This is one of those years where you might have to go forty-eight and thirty-four. To make the playoffs as an eight seed. Yeah. Well, you know Utah's out of it, so that's one playoff team that you don't do. You know, yeah, and you, you replace them with Los Angeles Clippers immediately. Mm. You slot the Clippers right in there. And the Clippers, remember, the Clippers were a seven seed without Kawhi. Yeah. And you probably don't coalesce a playoff spot to Minnesota that easily. Do you? 
They lose Pat Bev, who's the reason mm-hmm. why they got to the playoffs, and trade in for Rudy Gobert, who doesn't bring the same elements that Pat Bev brought. Yeah, he's a great defender, three-time defensive player of the year, but he doesn't bring what Pat Bev brought to that locker room. Mm-hmm. That accountability that you need from the head of a snake. Mm-hmm. And there's only so many head of a snake players in the NBA left. Mm. And he brought that to Minnesota. So I think that's going to be an underrated loss to them. And we'll see it that first time Minnesota plays the Lakers and Pat Bev is throwing his jersey off and crying because he beat the team that traded him to the Utah Jazz and basically tried to send him to purgatory for Rudy Gobert. <laughs> you know Pat Bev feels away. <laughs> of course. Pat Bev feels away about any team that's ever traded him. Pat yes. Bev takes being traded as any person in a relationship would take being dumped. It mm. equates the same to him. And he's never hit that and He's going to have something for him because he gave his heart and soul to the Minnesota the same way he gave his heart and soul to the Clippers and the same way he gave his heart and soul to the Houston Rockets. And what they do? They turn their back on him. As far as he's concerned, he mm-hmm. wasn't good enough. He didn't fit the image. He didn't do this. He didn't do that. Or like he was saying, and this is the thing that like really troubles me about the whole Westbrook thing. How do you go back and make amends with somebody that you basically told the world you felt like he ruined your career? Because that's what he said on J.J. Reddick's podcast. Mm-hmm. He said Russell Westbrook making fun of him almost sabotaged his career. Do you remember when no. Russell Westbrook got interviewed about, about Pat mm-hmm. Beverly? And they were like, well, how do you feel about Pat Bev? He's like, oh, Pat Bev got y'all fooled. Yep. He just be running around making noise. Mm-hmm. Pat Bev really took that to mean career sabotage from Russell Westbrook. He said teams really... Go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, no, I totally agree. I, I'm listening to you. Yes, and then also they were going back and forth with Twitter, which was last year when Pat Bev said, "Oh, who who got who fooled?" Mm-hmm. Post game, yeah, post game. So letting know that, hey man. So that's what I'm saying. There are some. That's again. Is is this now? It, mind you, we're both basketball players. We've been teammates. We've gone at it, but at the level that those two have gone at it as basketball players and non-teammates. Well, that's totally different. It's a difference because you know the stuff you're saying to a non-teammate is going, to, in most cases, is going to be worse than you would say to your teammate. But now that you said all those foul things about or those feelings that you had about a non-teammate and now y'all become teammates, especially when it's known how both of y'all felt about one another. It's not and like... Let's, and let's explore, let's explore the history. Whether Pat Bev wants to own this or not, he is responsible for Russell Westbrook's left knee. Yeah, tearing the meniscus, right? Was it the meniscus? Mm-hmm. And that required two surgeries. Yeah. Typically, you get your meniscus sewn back. You're out four to six weeks. You can start rehab. That's what happened, but he got complications from it. And then after he came back and had a bounce-back season, There was another issue with Pat Bev undercut him, diving for a loose ball with, with Russell Westbrook's legs taking the brunt of it. Mm-hmm. So you have you have that those are trauma those that's trauma. So remove basketball and just the human element. You've got a guy who's caused you life trauma, who you now have to quote unquote go out and ride out for like he's one of your family. This is gonna be a testament. Not only because again, I don't think Pat Bev has to do anything. This has all become about 
how does Russell Westbrook deal with it? And I feel like that's why my statement about me hoping for the betterment of him is so profound because we're all looking at it. Even you said, well, if Westbrook does this, Westbrook, everybody, every voice he hears is someone with an idea of what he needs to do when he has been first and foremost, outwardly, the most individual person he can be his entire career. He's died on his sword about it numerous times. Like, oh, I don't need to win a championship. I win a championship every day because I made it from out of nothing to something. People fry him for saying that. Oh, so you don't really want to win because you felt like you're winning in life without basketball. So if basketball isn't, you know, that argument. He's got so many, the, the, the leading the league in turnovers for the past four years, the, oh yeah, he, he had a team that was basically told to get out of the way so that he could get these stat pad and triple doubles. We didn't even deal with that because there's a sentiment around basketball that a lot of what happened when he was averaging those triple doubles in Oklahoma city was a lot of it. Those players got out of his way. Steven Adams would let him get rebounds. This person would let him get rebounds. That person would let him get rebounds just so that he could go ahead and average a triple double. So it became a game within a game where winning wasn't so much the focus, but it was more so about making somebody look great by accomplishing something that really did not level out into winning. That team that he won the MVP trophy for, what were they, the sixth seed? I believe 2016, so. 2017, they were the sixth seed. And I think they lost in the first round. And then they go and get Paul George, and they continue to lose in the first round. Or did they make it to the second round one year with Paul George? When was that the second round with Lillard? Because I believe one year they lost with U- they lost to Utah one year. I yeah, that was when round. they had Melo on the team. So it, it's Russell. I, I mean, to be he he is the 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 basketball John Malkovich right now. To be inside his head would be such a trippy experience. I can only imagine how many different, like, you know, that meme that they have where the lady is looking and they put all those like physics equations on the meme to, to <laughs> kind of like emulate what she's thinking. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah. the guy the, or, the, or the white dude with the same thing where they do all these math equations and he's got his, like his fingers running in the meme because he's trying to, that's Russell Westbrook right now. And I don't know how you function in that environment. And then with the offseason that the Lakers had where it started with, oh, Russell Westbrook's getting moved. Look at what's happening when you go to the summer league. LeBron's not sitting next to Russell Westbrook. They didn't even talk. So it's like, is there really a tension? And then LeBron's doing the thing that he always does to a guy right before they wind up getting moved. He starts publicly supporting them. Oh, Russell Westbrook's <laughs> going to have a great year next year. You know, so it's like mm-hmm. there's so much energy surrounding what's going on in that Lakers situation that it could lead to them becoming one of those teams where they embrace the energy and use it as fuel and go to limits that, I mean, you, that Lakers team's not winning 61 and 21. Mm-hmm. I don't no, see no. that. They're not going 55 and 27 or, you know. Do they have players that are capable of something like that happening? Yes. Do they have a roster capable of producing that? I don't think so. So in summary, when it comes to what they have going on with the roster they have currently assembled, my state is worried. My belief is that they won't make the playoffs. My hope is contrary because I'm a fan. Same way you are as a Knicks. I projected to you that I don't see the Knicks being in the top eight, but I'm pretty sure your hope is that somehow the Knicks are able to put something together to have a successful season that leads to at least being in the playoffs. Right or wrong? Of course. Yeah, we want that. 
We want that. Now, mind you, the Lakers are in a different situation because that fan base expects competing for championships, but I don't think any realistic Laker fan is thinking about banner number 18 right now. And if they are, they're delusional. They're delusional. Until proven otherwise, the Lakers have to open the season and they don't even have a great opening week. Like they're, they, they can get fried in the first nine games. Their first 10 games of the season is, is not easy sledding. They could be down bad before October's even over. Mm. And then what do you do? You just signed LeBron to a one-year extension because let's just be real. It's not a two-year deal. It's a one-year deal with a player option after it. It's a one-year deal. So you got him for two years. What are you saying? We're going to tank your 37, your age 37, 38 season? Mm-mm. I mean, come on. We saw, we saw Michael Jordan. We saw Michael Jordan in his 38, age 38 season on the Wizards. And mine is a different player. It's a different era. LeBron's been taking care of everybody. But we saw the cracks. He's not going to give you, like, those, those last bit of elite takeover game fumes that he had, and they weren't fumes, but those last, those last vials of takeover sauce that he was using in Cleveland, the whole idea behind the roster that you give him in L.A., it has to be one where he kind of can coast comfortably and be in a point where he can turn it on in those limited spurts to take you over the top. And this roster right now is going to require him to do a lot more heavy lifting than he's prepared to. He's going to break Kareem's record, and he might break down doing it. Ooh, mm. that's it's going to be it's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah, so I mean, when when, when it comes to you know, you, the both coasts, you, you you got you got the reality that the other team in that city might be the one that you expect to do better or should expect to do better because in New York, the expectation should be that the Brooklyn Nets, who we didn't mention, didn't even mention in the eight teams that we talked about being best in the East because, again, it's almost like talking about them is bad for luck. Like, what can you really say about a team that you don't even know what they – they did go out and acquire players so that they have a veteran supporting cast to, you know, complement what they have in Brooklyn – but I don't really know how to situate them until I got to see them play. And I got to see what version of them play because Ben mm-hmm. Simmons is legitimately coming off of back surgery. So I'm not saying they aren't capable of being a top team in the East. They very much are. They were a playoff team last year without Ben Simmons. And they're mm-hmm. pretty much bringing back most of the same guys. Yet, with all that they have hanging in the air, that third-partiness, you still expect them to be better than the Knicks. And then conversely, in Los Angeles, the Clippers – I'm telling you now that the Clippers are a playoff team. So if the Clippers don't make the playoffs, it's got to be a huge disappointment. Well, just because it means that they, they guys were injured. You know what I mean? Like, I don't see the Clippers not making the playoffs if they're healthy. Like, that's not – I don't think are, that's They are two, maybe three deep at every position. And they've got yeah. guys who can play multiple positions. You got John Wall. And they got Wall guys who are playing on a chip on their shoulder now. Yeah, you got John Wall – who in every workout video is cursing, yelling, and screaming at everybody to recognize and remember who he is. Mm-hmm. I'm a John Wall fan who believes yeah, that I believe that John Wall and you are too because you, you spent time in DC. We know mm-hmm. what that, that man is capable of. 
And he spoke to, and like I said in the last podcast, I give him a lot of credit for opening up for how down he was and where he's at now. So yeah. I definitely want to see that come full circle, you know? Absolutely. You know, that's the beauty of humanity, that you can, uh, you can reflect on the fact that it's not about how you fall, it's about how you get up. Facts. Which is, you know, a well, segue bef- to that wonderful book you wrote. What's that book you wrote called? Savior Over Straight Jacket. Okay. Savior yes. Over Straight Jacket speaks to what, brother? It speaks to overcoming. Overcoming a great deal of adversity and still being here to talk about it and help others get through their this this storms. So, but one thing before we go, I want to say for the WNBA, congrats to them. Their their ratings are up. I think it's the highest ratings for the playoffs they've been getting in the last twenty years. So viewership is up for the WNBA. I think that I think that's something that we um, you know, we get some of our audience are females, so mm-hmm. we also have to to shout them out. But the maybe, WNBA, maybe, okay. So so that's what we'll do. You know, it will we'll give. I mean. I don't want to. I don't want to pander, but I definitely do want to speak to the fact that women's basketball is a sport worth watching. It is worth investing. I do believe that their core audience, the participants as women, they definitely need to continue to boost that with the Brittany Griner situation. That maybe that has brought more attention to people actually investing because that also brought attention to you know the quote unquote pay disparity, which is a topic that I really don't want to jump on. But I do understand mm. the nature of what they're pointing at when they speak to the fact that women basketball players in the United States, their salary in comparison to their male counterparts, it's vast. Mm-hmm. In order for that to change, what you spoke to needs to happen. Support. So, yes, yeah. let's continue to go out and support the ladies, give it up for the ladies, and salute to the ladies for, for that achievement. And I hope that that, con- that success continues into future seasons and we can continue to raise the pedigree of women's basketball and hopefully, you know, before this year is out, we can get Brandy Grinder back. Facts. You know, not even as a basketball player. We need Brandy Grinder to be human free. I don't care if she chooses not to play another basketball game because we don't know what prison does to that person or what it can do to anybody. But we yeah. know that there's an impact. And if she Absolutely. comes out with a whole different outlook on life and wants to take a different path, we can't be mad at that because that situation is one that affected her in a way that only she can speak to. You know, being away from your family, being away from your wife in a foreign country, being asked to, um, I think they were even, I think it was even speculated that they might let her play basketball for some Russian team. Like, it's Oh, wow. Wild. I didn't even know that. Oh, that's They're, crazy. Yeah, they have like, oh, yeah, we won't let you go back to the United States, but if you want to put some basketball here, like, they have all types of wow, things so about. That's insane. That sounds crazy to me. Listen, Russia has proven. Yo, so wait. So is it really like the what's that movie with Adam Sandler? The young, yeah, the, I knew you the was longest yard, the longest like, yard. Yeah. Sons, are you telling me you clock? Yo, we're gonna we're gonna pull you in. We're gonna take you from from uh, from lockdown. Put you in a basketball game. But you smell what a little bit of freedom tastes like. But as soon as that game's over, we gotta get back on this bus and go back to prison. Oh, that's crazy. That would be and insane. Mind you, we all know the nature of her physique doesn't support. The idea that a prison has anything that can accommodate her body properly. Like, poor woman has probably been hanging her legs off the off, off the bed for however long she's been locked up. She's in a cell that's probably shorter than she physically is. I mean, yes. some of the pictures that they've shown, and I don't even know if those pictures were from the actual cell that she's in. They might have been the holding cell pictures that they had of her. But regardless, bring Brittany home. 
hopefully she's able to, you know, again, get her wellness back when we're able to get her free. And congratulations, like you said, to the WNBA on a successful postseason. Um, is their postseason over? No, I think it's the uh, it's the finals right now with um, the Las Vegas Aces playing against ooh, I don't remember who they're playing against. I think it's Connecticut. I, I believe it's Connecticut. I, that sounds about right. Um, I knew Sue Bird was um, got eliminated by the um, Aces. So, and that what the MVP yeah, Sue um, Bird plays for Phoenix, right? Yeah, she got eliminated by uh, the MVP and Aces Wilson. Is uh, I think it's it's um, I forgot her last, first name, uh, but Wilson. I used to play for um, South Carolina. She's the lefty. Um, her team is in the finals. I believe it's um. Getting no lefties over here. <laughs> nah, nah, exactly. So, but now nah, shout out, shout out to the WNBA man. I haven't been Big able time. to catch a bunch of their games, but the few games that's one thing about the WNBA. I ain't gonna lie, they they play ball, but they play ball. They 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 do a lot of a lot of the sets and cuts are textbook, and that's what if you want to honestly, if you want to learn kind of the game. The, the game and kind of the before the athleticism exactly the, if you're not an athletic the, person you, you can watch the WNBA and learn a lot and become fu- so fundamentally sound that that's one movement, using screens um cutting without the, the basketball defense, learning how to be lot. zone you know countering a press there's a lot of things about not over not that. over dribbling you know Correct. like there's like i said there's a lot of Again, I, finishing I, without verticality, which is which is very big in women's basketball. Mm-hmm. Not to say it, you know, to like disrespect their athleticism, but let's just be real. A lot of women aren't dunkers. A lot of women are not high flyers. So mm-hmm. they still finish at the rim, and they still need to finish at a high level of efficiency for it to be good basketball. And they do it. Yeah, so, no, no. I, I like I said, the WNBA game is serious, man. I think it's it's something that the we have might have to talk about on another podcast, but. Obviously, it's something that there's a disconnect somewhere, and I don't know exactly why. Because if you look at uh, women's college basketball, that's those crowds are sometimes five, six times the size of the WNBA crowd. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So that it's, it's a disconnect. Some it's a disconnect somewhere. How you can have, you know, fifteen thousand fans for a college game, but then a WNBA game is struggling to get 3,500. So that's a, yeah, because you know, a college, a college. I mean, it's on campus to and, and, and patronizing to the, the student body. Whereas these, yeah. these pro franchises are hoping to cater to and patronize to a city. And that's the unfortunate disconnect that's occurred with women's sports is the fact that like women's sports and what they try to do with, you know, staging these that's why Connecticut has a has a WNBA franchise because a lot of the great women's basketball players wind up playing for the University of Connecticut so a lot of them have been seen by Connecticut fans so there's an appreciation for women's basketball there in these regions that are prominent that some of these prime NBA cities just don't have so you have that the the dynamic is being sorted shout out to Swing Cash who is doing a lot to to work towards continuing to elevate the WNBA brand 
Actually, shout out to her. She just got inducted to the NBA. Right. I mean, into the uh, Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. Fame. Right. That's why I brought her up. Because as a Hall of Famer, she's she's doing her part to continue to be a great ambassador for the game. And she's being rewarded for it, for not only her player accomplishments, but for what she's also doing as an executive. And I think that goes with you bringing that up. Maybe, you know, maybe decide, yo, let me just go ahead and give her a shout out. Because I read a a really in-depth article on on what she's trying to do and what she has done, and it's commendable. You, you're right. The, the, the women's game deserves our support, and we're going to go ahead and do that. You know, I have a daughter, and I am a big proponent in, in encouraging our young ladies to play sports. So if I can do something to, to pay that forward, I'm all for it. I don't know when we're going to do that episode, but I guess we'll wait till after the finals, and maybe we'll do a recap of what we learned about the WNBA this season. Facts. Maybe Let's do it. Maybe. Yeah. So on that note, we're going to go ahead and bring this episode to a clutch. Hope you enjoyed it. As always, you can follow us on any of the podcasting platforms we are hosted on. You can reach us directly at viewsfromtheclutch at gmail.com. You can tag us on social media at viewsfromtheclutch on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And on that note, we say peace. Peace.